Welcome to the Refuge Recovery Podcast. Refuge Recovery is a Buddhist-oriented path to recovery from addictions. For more information, please visit us at refugerecovery.org. Okay, welcome to the first Thursday teacher-led offering of Refuge Recovery World Services. This is not a Refuge Recovery meeting. Refuge Recovery meetings are peer-led. This is actually me. Once a month, I show up and and do some teaching and some reflections and some Q&A, something that hopefully isn't happening in Refuge meetings to keep it peer-led. Welcome to everybody. Welcome to anybody that's here for the first time. Welcome back to everyone else. Um, We'll start with about a 20-minute meditation practice. I'll offer some instructions and then uh, we'll continue the series that I'm in on these first Thursdays, which is um, the Eightfold Path. And I think we're on the fourth or fifth factor of the path, three, four, fifth factor of the path tonight, which is uh, we'll talk about money and work and service and uh, the Buddhist teachings on uh, livelihood and karma, and the karma that we're creating at work. And uh, then we'll also talk some about the importance of generosity and service and breaking our self-centeredness through giving away some of our time and energy and resources. So we'll get started with the meditation. So find a way to sit that's relaxed, upright, position that feels sustainable. Allowing your eyes to be closed, taking a moment to relax, release, soften any unnecessary tension in your body. Releasing the brow, the jaw, shoulders, belly. Feel the way that our stomach rises and falls with each breath. And as you exhale, see if you can soften your belly. Let go of any posturing, unnecessary tension, resistance, suppression. relaxing into this upright posture as we establish mindfulness, present time, non-judgmental, kind, investigative awareness. It's useful at the beginning of each mindfulness-based sit to establish loving kindness, to bring the intention, the attitude of friendliness, of patience and acceptance, the intention to be loving and kind, compassionate with our experience, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant.
settling with, bringing mindfulness, giving our full attention to the body sitting upright, feel the posture, know that you're sitting, all the sensations associated with contact with the chair or whatever you're sitting on right now. Feel how your hands are resting in your lap or on your legs. The sensations are created by those places of contact with the floor, with the chair, with your hands, touching the legs, touching each other perhaps. Mindfulness of the body, first foundation. We open to investigating mindfulness of the breath, the body breathing. Kind, investigative awareness, friendliness towards your own experience, not trying too hard, just investigating, exploring being curious, what's happening right now in my body? What does this feel like? Where do you feel the breath? What does the breath feel like? Is it deep or shallow, long, slow or fast? bringing our awareness to the breath. Often we feel like we are breathing, like we're controlling it. But sometimes at some point you'll realize the body's just breathing all by itself. All we're doing is bringing awareness to it. So there's some encouragement to relax enough if you can to let the body breathe all by itself. and to connect with that part of your awareness that receives the sensations, feels, receives, experiences, the rising and falling of the belly, the expanding and contracting of the chest, and the air entering and exiting through the nostrils. When our awareness is drawn back into thinking, remember the intention to be friendly, patient, accepting, and kind. Just become aware of thinking again without any judgment. That's just what the awareness does. That's our habit, our tendency. Gently return to the breath. Come back. 
bringing the attention back to the breath. Like we're training a new puppy that we really love that's wandering off of the newspaper where it's supposed to be doing its business. Don't scold, judge, but gently returning, bringing the awareness back over and over to the present time experience, the mind wanders to the future, the past, plans, memories, worries, fantasies, disengaging from that thinking mind for now without trying to stop the thoughts, just come back to the breath, trying to stop paying attention to what the mind's up to, let it be in the background as much as you can. Staying as present in the body with the sensations here, now, as we can. And when the attention gets back involved in the thoughts, disengage, reconnect with the breath as many times as you need to. beginning practice in some ways 
as our first refuge, taking refuge in the body, taking refuge in the breath. Most of our suffering is created and experienced in the mind. The judgments, the cravings, the aversions, the resentments, disengaging from all of that, taking refuge in the sensation of the breath coming in. The sensation of the breath going out. Then sitting, I invite you to just keep it simple. Just keep coming back to the breath. Keep ignoring the mind. Investigating with kindness the truth of the impermanent nature of the sensations of the breath. Constantly changing. repetitive.
when teaching, the Buddha said that all of the dharma, the liberating truth, the insights needed for awakening could be found by mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of breathing and sensation. All of the dharma revealed through investigating this physical form. You're ready, allowing your eyes to open. Continuing mindfulness, present time awareness, now adding seeing. Any kind of movement, stretch you want to do, just bring attention uh, and continuing to maintain a similar type of awareness of the internal and now the external, the conversation we're going to have, the screen in front of you, the little me and the little boxes and the content of the conversation. We do the formal sitting meditation. Um, 
as a key component to the intervention with the addictive process uh, and, and the teachings of mindfulness and the practice goes, uh, you know, a, a strong encouragement that this isn't just about getting good at sitting meditation. It's about getting good at being present and uh, less reactive and more responsive in all aspects of our lives. So. The Eightfold Path is the core teaching of the Buddha of how to get free from suffering of all kinds, including the suffering that addiction creates in our lives. And the first two factors are considered wisdom factors, the wisdom of coming to understand uh, the truth of karma, of cause and effect. We covered that a few weeks ago or a few months ago. Um, and understanding this path that has the potential to free us from suffering and has the potential, if practiced, to uh, help us establish, maintain recovery, abstinence, and, and then the, the process of recovering a sense of well-being, happiness, ease in our lives. Then we bring the intention to not behave in the ways that create suffering and to behave in the ways, intentionally being honest and kind and uh, compassionate, patient, non-harming. Uh, we establish these intentions with our speech, the third factor, and with our actions, the fourth factor. And tonight at the fifth, fifth aspect, fifth factor of the path, traditionally, called right livelihood because um you know and we could say right or appropriate or correct or or wise now uh, the traditional frame of the eightfold path is I, I didn't do this in refuge but the traditional way is right understanding right intention right speech right action right livelihood actually i think that in in some I noticed that there's a place, there's a couple of places in the some of the literature, some of the meeting formats where right livelihood got in there. Everything it doesn't say right anywhere else, but it says right livelihood. <laughs> um, because it is a frame of if you want to get free from suffering, there is a right way and a wrong way to go about it. Right. And I know maybe it sounds judgmental or I don't know, hierarchical or something, but it's just like. It's like saying, if you want to go north, there's a right way to get there, and there's a wrong way to get there. And it's not like <laughs> you're not going to get there if you go in the wrong direction. Right? Like Here's the directions. Here's the right way to get to where you want to go. And the livelihood teachings in Buddhism uh, are all about karma. And so much of this Eightfold Path is about karma. Is look, What kind of karma are we creating for ourselves? And if you want to free yourself from addiction, um, you want to free yourself from suffering, then it's key, central, important to uh, not behave in ways that are creating more negativity in our lives, more negative karma, more harm to ourselves. 
uh, or others. And when we, you know, this understanding of karma is that when we cause harm to others, we're hurting ourselves. We're karmically responsible, a cause and effect. So there's only a few things that the Buddha listed on, uh, you know, he, he basically said, here's, here's what not to do. If you want to get free from suffering, so in refuge, we're saying, hey, if you want to establish, maintain abstinence, if you want to be on this path of recovery, here's a few things to avoid. You don't want to uh, have, if possible, you don't want to have a job that includes murdering. Murdering is, is bad karma. So you want to try to get a job where you're not involved in murdering any living beings. And so this, you know, includes humans, you know, like, you know, you can't be like a ninja assassin. That's not the right livelihood. You can't be, you know, um, you know, military stuff, like involved in war stuff. Like you don't want to make money from uh, that. Um, you don't want to um, be involved in killing animals, you know, fishing, hunting, uh, kind of any any of that sort of stuff where you're, taking the life of any living being, uh, that there's a karma involved in that, that uh, isn't going to get us where we want to go. So choosing a, a non-murderous non profession. Now, I know I said military, and there's probably lots of jobs within the military where you never actually kill or, you know, aren't involved in that. But because uh, I don't think that... Um, Technically, being in the military is wrong livelihood only if you're in the position where you have to kill. Uh, that's that's the line is is the the killing situation. The other things that the Buddha encouraged uh, avoidance of was um, selling any kind of drugs or alcohol, profiting from other people's intoxication and delusion and perhaps addiction um that there's there's some uh, unwholesome some negative karma in being involved in uh you know dealing drugs including alcohol alcohol's not a separate drug and it's that that one's a tricky one in our modern culture where Alcohol is sort of everywhere. And like if you work in a restaurant, the restaurant's selling alcohol. If you work in a grocery store, the grocery store is probably selling alcohol. Um, so that's, you know, it's a tricky one. But probably many people find themselves of like, hey, well, I'm a chef because I love cooking. But, you know, I'm also aware that the restaurant that I am a chef in is making maybe more of their money from the bar than they are from the food. And, you know, that is actually, you know, part of my livelihood is this successful restaurant where I cook the food, but they're selling booze at the bar and I'm getting a paycheck from this establishment that's profiting from drug dealing, <laughs> legal alcohol dealing. Um, so, you know, some of this gets a little, you know, this is 2,600 years ago. Um you know, the Buddha's teaching where, you know, I don't think it was a quite the same situation where in, in India and in that time where like alcohol was just normalized and in every establishment that we fucking walk into, um, it wasn't uh, as pervasive, I don't think, as it is now, or he might've had some more subtleties around, uh, around some of these teachings. It was sort of just like, yeah, don't sell drugs. 
don't sell alcohol. Don't don't profit from that. You know. Um, he also says in the in the text to um, avoid and and to not not be involved in the um, hu selling of humans. Um, this is the commentaries that I've heard on this is, you know, both some commentary on any sort of slavery, but also being involved in um, selling, uh, like pimping, like sex trade and profiting from, you know, selling people's bodies and being somebody who's like, I'm making money off of your pornography or your prostitution or your um, you know, kind of, I'm making money off of the sex industry. Um, and again, 2,600 years ago, this was probably more about uh, indentured, you know, kind of sex slavery um, in that time. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, video porn, webcam stuff that we have going on now. It was, you know, people being sold into, you know, indentured sexual servitude and um and a whole bunch of the you know nuns um, were women who had come from brothels and come from being part of of those kind of what's the word it's not harem but um concubine kind of situation basically who'd been forced into a, a, a sort of prostitution and then had been invited into the um buddha's uh uh, sangha and had become nuns and many of the enlightened women in the time of the buddha had previously been involved in what we would now refer to as sex work so um you know there's no judgment about it but also the buddha saying you don't want to profit in that way it's going to create some negative karma for you uh, i don't know maybe that is a judgment but i don't, I don't hear it uh, I, I hope you don't i don't hear it as a a judgment it's just a sort of you know good advice of like Try to find a way to make money that's not causing harm to yourself or others. So poisons, uh, drugs, alcohol, uh, murder, some forms of sex works, you know, especially pimping, making money off of other. I, I don't know if there's an exception here, um, but my own opinion is you know, everybody has their own choices and, and it doesn't seem like it's not, it doesn't say anywhere that choosing to prostitute yourself or to be like a stripper or something like that. It doesn't say anywhere that that in itself is wrong livelihood. It's more talking about making money off of other people, selling people uh, into those kind of, but if you choose to do that yourself, I'm not, not sure. I'm not clear if that's totally wrong livelihood or not. So it leaves a lot of options, right? Avoiding drug selling and alcohol selling, avoiding killing, avoiding kind of being involved in the, uh, you know, human human selling. Um, leaves a lot of options for what we call right livelihood, wise livelihood, uh, you know. It, kind of anything else is and we can all think about like okay what do i do like i'm involved in a trade or i'm involved in finance or i'm involved in you know uh i'm a lawyer or i'm a medical you know whatever you end up wanting as a career 
um, and then just kind of looking at it of like, am I creating negative karma for myself in this career? You know, like, um, am I am I in a situation where I'm sort of encouraged or maybe even forced to lie at work? And being like, hey, I care about my karma. I actually don't want to lie at work. I don't want to be in a position where I'm lying. Sales can be interesting. Uh, I can remember some of my early trips to, you know, India and, and other places in Asia and um, getting a taste. And, you know, so you can get this in Mexico or Central, lots, lots of other countries where like everything's a bargain where you go and you say like, hey, how much is that thing I want to buy? <laughs> and they lie to you and they tell you it's like three times as much as it really is. And you have to like bargain with them and be like, well, uh, I'll give, you know, they're like, it's a hundred. And you're like, well, I'll give you 25. And they'll be like, I'll take 50. And you're like, cool, I'll, I'll give you 54. And then when you give them 50, you know, you got ripped off and that it was really only worth 30. <laughs> and that's sort of like, whoa, is that, it's just like built in that bargaining kind of thing. Is it wrong, you know, to, to exaggerate a price if, you know, to a tourist or, or whatever? Um, you know, there's so many gray areas around this. Uh, you know, it's worth whatever someone will pay for it, basically, in sales. But, you know, we, we're so conditioned in the West of, like, there's a fixed price. That's how much that costs. And if you come into my store, I'm not going to double it because you're a foreigner. I'm just going to be like, that's what it costs. Um, but in many other countries, uh, I'm going to triple it because uh, it's a bargain, you know, commerce situation whatever you can get. Um, I mean, I'm curious just to, you know, as, as you think about this and you've probably thought about it before and you think about what your job is now and your, your livelihood and, um, you know, does it feel like it's causing harm to you? You know, maybe you might hate your job. That doesn't mean it's causing harm to you. But does it feel like you're creating negative karma by, you know, lying, stealing, you know, uh, in some way, you know, causing causing negative karma at work? And if the answer is yes, then, you know, maybe you're new to recovery. Maybe you've been in recovery for a long time. The encouragement from refuge, the encouragement from Buddhism is to uh, find your way out. If you can, if you want to, because of course, everything's up to you, but it's not like, oh, I am going to relapse if I keep working at a restaurant. <laughs> that's not, you know, that's not what's being said. What's being said is, you know, if you, uh, you know, care about your, your karma, you might want to look uh, around and say, hey, is there some livelihood that I can get into that would be meaningful, that would feel good to me, that wouldn't be causing harm? So it's really just, you know, looking at, at the karma of it. And then I do feel like there's another piece that isn't addressed really in the, in the traditional teachings. Um, but I, I feel like it's important for us to think about, which is, um, you know, can you find a work that's a, a livelihood, a job that's, that is meaningful, that's not just non-harming, um, but that you actually feel um like you're you have found a calling or something that you really enjoy doing and that maybe is not only not harmful but is helpful um and it's not like everyone needs to be there there's a common 
theme and people getting into recovery and then becoming therapists or social workers or working in addiction treatment or something. And it makes sense because it's like you get into recovery and then you're like, hey, I want to help. I'm being encouraged and I, and I want to use my experience of addiction to help others get free from addiction. And um, so that makes sense. But it, you don't have to do that. You might say, hey, I'm an artist. I'm a musician. I'm a, you know, I want to work in the medical field. I want to work, you know, I want to work, you know, whatever it is you want to do. You want to be even in a trade. Like I'm going to, I love building houses. I've got this skill. All right. I love fixing cars. I've got this, you know, passion for, you know, motors or whatever it is. And just being like, uh, it doesn't have to always be helpful to others, but just meaningful to you and non-harmful to you or others. So in addition to, in, in refuge, in addition to the encouragement to avoid spending, you know, eight hours a day, five days a week in something that's creating negative karma, also the encouragement of service, you know, and the other aspect of this, you know, that I put into the, the program, um, basically, because I was just looking for a place in the Eightfold Path to squeeze in service work, <laughs> generosity and service work. So I was like, okay, livelihood, avoid this, find something good to do, but also do work for free, for fun, for free, for out of generosity. Um, you know, and it's what we do when we mentor each other and when we take, um, uh, commitments at meetings, secretary, group rep, door person, treasurer, of those those uh, places where we're not getting paid anything. We're just there to give back. We're just there to be of service. And of course, it's really important. It's how a program like Refuge Recovery exists. Is you know, we're all volunteers. We're all doing it because uh, we want to be of service and because we're grateful for what we've received and we want to pass it on to the next person and want to support each other. And karmically, it's, you know, it's helping us purify the negative actions of our past, the selfish, self-centered, greed-based mentality of active addiction by combating that by generosity, by service and saying, you know, how can I help, you know, and, and, uh, and the importance and, you know, my own opinion is, you know, like, we should always be looking at like, what commitments do I have in recovery? What, you know, what are, what opportunities do I have to be of service? How many people am I mentoring? Do I have space to mentor more? Um, but with service, there's a balance. You know, there is a thing, uh, a such thing as, as having too many people that you're mentoring. There is a such thing as having too many commitments where you kind of start getting burnt out. And so at some point you got to, uh, next week we'll talk about effort and energy and we'll talk about the balance next month, not next week. Uh, you know, and that there is uh, too much and there is too little. And so we all have to find that balance for us. What is, is it like three to five menti active mentees? Is that a good amount of service? Or are you one of those people that can like mentor 12 people and you've got, you know, you got time for it and you got energy for it. You know, I, I find that when I go beyond like five, uh, I don't, I, I don't have a, the time for the quality uh, that I'd like to, you know, be able to bring to the relationships. Um, so the importance of service and I don't know if this completely applies, but if anybody's thinking about their 
careers and their livelihood. And, and I know that this isn't always possible for everyone, but I got some really good advice in my early recovery when I didn't quite know what I wanted to do for a living. And my father actually said, he, I said, I, I don't know what to do. I want to help. I want to, you know, I want to not hurt. I want to, you know, I'm not sure. In my active addiction, I thought maybe I'd become a chef. I was working in restaurants. And and then when I, I got into recovery, he said, well, find something. Try to find something that you like doing and that you would do for free. And then uh, see if there's a job in it, if you can monetize it in some way. And I thought, oh, that's such good advice. Because I was like, uh, you know, doing a lot of recovery stuff. I was volunteering at an AIDS outreach program, at a needle exchange, at, you know, these different sort of like um, community outreach programs. And I was like, that's that's what I, you know, I want to be engaged with helping people. And so then it kind of made sense to find a job as a, you know, I, for me, I went back to school and became a psychotherapist and, and was like, I, I like working with people. I want to, you know, help in that way. And, and eventually became a Buddhist teacher and author and all of those other things. But none of that was like my intention. I didn't say like, hey, I'm going to be a Buddhist teacher. I said like, how can I help? And how can I uh, share what I've learned and share my experience with, with others? How can I be of service? So maybe I'll leave it there so that we can open to dialogue. Um, Questions, comments, clarifications about livelihood, about service, uh, about anything, you know, refuge recovery related. Um, mostly interested in discussing this fifth factor of our path to recovery. Anything, uh, you can just raise your hand in the reactions tab and uh, we can have some dialogue about it. Mark, jump in. Yeah, I'll start it off. Good afternoon. Um, I, uh, I've been thinking, but we uh, in Jeff's in Jeff's group, we uh, just went over the eightfold path, and we spent a lot of time on um, different things. And um, even before Buddhism, I don't know. There's something ingrained in me that um, having my own business and doing stuff at we, what we did is we kind of, he gave us an assignment as we went through all of them to kind of at the final night to kind of rate where we felt we landed, like from a one to 10 on each, each path. And I was real happy to uh, be honestly look back at my, as far as it went with livelihood, having my own business, I always wanted to give a fair price. I felt like um, I was being of service. These people would, I want to do this in my, yard. I did custom masonry. I want my yard to look like this. We dropped the plans. It would go you know, to full uh, fruition, you know, and I would, they would be so happy. And I was just like, it wasn't so much about the money that I made. I, of course, I made enough money to, you know, provide for me and my family and all that stuff. But it wasn't all about making, you know, like ripping them off, you know, like, up, like you say, marking up prices and stuff. Even at a time where I uh, got clean and I um, had to get a get well job at a grocery store, I tried to, uh, my mindset was that I was being of service by, you know, helping the elderly out to their cars, that type of thing, you know, to, with the groceries. And um, even now on um, the stuff that I do, um, I, 
there's there's times like this guy he sends me a lot of uh, car details from carmax and um, i do his personal cars and every once in a while he'll say well how much do i owe? i'm like no those you know i'm just doing that for you for free you know or things like that so i uh i know that when i'm in active addiction i'm basically if i if 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 I'm within the, our five precepts with pretty much anything that I'm doing, I'm pretty content that I'm, I'm building good karma. If I'm, let's say, drinking or using, I'm out there running, I'm doing some hinky shit to make money, you know, to whatever I have to do to support my addiction. So I really think for me that my main focus is whatever I'm doing, whether it be working, helping, whatever, am I within these five precepts that that we've tried to follow in Buddhism? So that's kind of where I, that's my guidelines. I try to stay within the five precepts and live the, live in the Dharma and all my actions, you know, but you guys have helped me out a lot, especially you. And I appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. Yeah. And you know, wise reflections and that's absolutely, you know, what's being pointed to here. You know, are we, you know, within the five precepts, are we creating negative karma for ourselves? Yeah, thank you. John, go ahead. Thank you, and thank you for the talk. Sorry, my camera does not seem to be picking up any light here, but um, <clears throat> yeah, I uh, it really resonated with me, the, uh, the meditation as well, especially when you mentioned during the meditation about the Buddha saying, you know, it's all there in the body. You can just have it all there and just focus on the body. All of a sudden, I started really getting into my intestines which that's really strange uh, i guess i was kind of gurgling a bit but it was like whoa that was just great timing uh so that was really cool that's one thing uh, another thing is uh i found in my life that i had to you know just to survive i had to fake it fake it till i made it and i'm in the um computer uh security side so it's like firewalls and things like that protecting information and um I found myself sort of, you know, getting a lot of good, uh, you know, you could say success, but really in the back of my mind, I thought it was a fake. And I thought, um, I forget, there's a certain term for it. Um, Imposter syndrome. That's, that's what it is. So yeah, anyways, I just thought that was another aspect, you know, of right livelihood. I, I can, that, that, that was a thought that came up when you were talking about that. Yeah. Yeah, of feeling uh, confident and honest in what we're doing rather than faking it. Um, but it's interesting because I, I got through it and now I do feel confident in what I'm doing. So I kind of had to go through that. So in a way, I'm glad I did. I could have at that point gotten out of it and said, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. And I know it's a lack of confidence in this thing, but it's also there's so much to learn and you feel you're only partway there why do you feel you have any authority to say anything about it and then you get through it or after many years later you go well i'm glad i stuck through so i just thought that was an interesting thought in this no i appreciate that and it is such a um an interesting dilemma because uh you know one of the things we all come to understand is that we can't trust our minds all that much and so, you know, when your mind's judging you and telling you you're an imposter, you know, sometimes it's true because you really are faking it. <laughs> but sometimes it's actually not true. You know, you're not an imposter. You're just someone somewhat new in the industry or whatever it is. And you're learning as you go. And, you know, you have to kind of, you know, uh, you know, or, or maybe even sometimes you're very confident 
and uh, you're you know very competent at what you do, but your mind is still telling you uh, that you're an imposter and that you're unworthy and and that that's just neurotic mind habits and there's there's no truth to it at all. You actually are quite competent at your job. Um, mm-hmm. but you still feel like an imposter. <laughs> so it's it's tricky because sometimes it's actually true, right? I'm sure many of uh, us have lied our way into jobs and then had to figure it out. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> and then had to figure it out after after we got it, got the gig. Yeah. Thank you. Welcome. Any other thoughts about livelihood, service, karma? All right. We can leave it there, maybe. Um. Couple of announcements. I'm just looking at the chat. Looks like Michelle. Thanks for uh, co-hosting, Michelle. She's posted a couple of things into the chat. Take a look at the chat. One is um, if you'd like to leave a donation, Refuge Recovery World Services. Uh, you know, talking about being of service. Um, I don't get paid anything for doing this stuff. I'm here to be of service, but also part of my service is not only to you for your recovery and that you can pass it on, but also to our organization. Uh, World Services is a nonprofit, totally supported by donations. So as as generous as you can be, um, you know, if you can afford five or 10 bucks, great. If you have more to give, please give more uh, for, for something like this. And the other thing is, I guess, I don't know, we've been doing these Zooms on this this Zoom room. Uh, I don't know how long it is now, maybe three or four years, something like that. And we just got a notification from um, Zoom saying that uh, we have maxed out uh, this Zoom room and we need a new Zoom ID. Like they're ma- the, regi- the registrations um, are full. No, Nobody else can come. <laughs> uh, so even people that tried to register this week to come to, to tonight weren't able to get in because it was full. So uh, starting next month, starting uh, March, uh, we won't be on this Zoom link anymore. So forget this Zoom link. You need to re-register. We're starting over. It's the only way to do it. Everyone has to go. Uh, Sebastian put a link there um, in the chat. And so you need to go there and re-register for the first Thursdays. And then I think you'll probably be good for like three years. (laughs) But, um, you know, apparently we have to do this every few years. And now is the time that we have to do it. And, and um so spread the word also to, if you know other people that like to come to the first Thursdays or maybe even announce it at some of your meetings. If you're going to the first Thursday, you need to um, re-register. The link is on the you know, Refuge Recovery website under, uh, where is it, Sebastian? It's under events. Oh, yeah, retreats and events. Retreats and events, first Thursday. So oh. just let people know that that's happening. and. Uh, Next month, we will continue this Eightfold Path discussion with the sixth factor, which is about effort and energy and balance and how much effort and how much energy um, to put into our meditation, to put into service, to put into recovery. 
Uh, and um, where do we find that balance? I don't have the answer, but I will facilitate the, the conversation of uh, each of us needing to find the, the um, appropriate amount of effort to put into our practice, into our path, into service. So thanks for joining me tonight. Good to see everybody. Uh, maybe a couple of announcements. Tonight, there's a, a few refuge recovery um, retreats uh, available this year. There is uh, next month in March, there's a week, the, the January retreat got rescheduled in Oregon. Uh, it wasn't able to happen because of an ice storm. So it's now March 15th through 17th, and that's open for registration. Maybe you weren't able to come in January, but you are able to come in March. So um, come, come in March if you can, weekend retreat in Oregon. Then in April, there's a three-night retreat uh, mid-April in Texas. So if you or any of your people are from uh, the, the southern half, uh, you know, uh, southwest or, or Texas or that region, Louisiana, anywhere down there, tell them about this three-night retreat. There's room in that three-night refuge recovery meditation retreat in April. Um, then nothing on the books for May, but in June, we will have the 10th annual Refuge Recovery Conference. Uh, we've now existed for a decade, and uh, I think I feel like it's a milestone. It's a, it's a, I hope that we have a, a big turnout. We're meeting in Santa Cruz, California for the uh, conference this year, which also happens to be my hometown where I grew up, and we'll be in the Redwoods, and we'll be close to the ocean, you know, a few minutes drive down the road and uh, should be very cool. We've got a couple of local speakers. Jeff Camozzi from the San Francisco Sangha is going to be one of our speakers and um, someone else, a woman from Santa Cruz. Um, Lisa. Lisa, yeah, Lisa C. Lisa Cotter is going to be our other speaker. So a couple of NorCal uh, both long-term refuge recovery people. And then we'll, you know, we'll have some fun and we'll uh, have some campfires and we'll have some hikes in the redwoods and we'll have a bunch of refuge meetings, breakout groups, uh, do a little bit of business. So I hope a lot of you can make it to June. And then in um, the end of September, there'll be an East Coast retreat. Anybody on the East Coast, we got a three night, I think it's Labor Day weekend that lasts in August 29th through September 2nd. Uh, up, upstate Vermont, northern Vermont, uh, three-day retreat on the East Coast. Um, and then in December, I'm, I have something that's not open for registration yet, but a weekend retreat in North Carolina, refuge recovery uh, in North Carolina, weekend retreat in December. So lots of stuff this year. Think of your schedule and, you know, if you can attend something, important to try to come to some retreats. And, you know, lastly, um, I haven't 100% committed, but um, it looks like I'm going to do a, um, I don't know, a, a pilgrimage to India. And I, I think we're going to do it as refuge recovery. Last year, we did this trip to India, I mean, to Thailand as against the stream. But I think we're going to do this um, refuge recovery Buddhist pilgrimage tour to India in November. And you're all invited to come to India with me, where we're going to go to Bodh Gaya, where the Buddha was enlightened. And then we're going to go on this Buddhist uh, uh, tour circuit on the trains and the, the Indian trains. And it's going to be all very cool and romantic and, and enlightening. 
<laughs> and you know, and probably difficult at times. But um, uh, we'll put that up for registration soon. I'm just solidifying some of the details, but that looks like that's going to be November um, 13th through 24th or 25th or something like that. So about two week trip, 11, 12 day trip, something like that. So I hope some of you come to India with me in the fall. And that's it. Thanks for being here. May any goodness that comes from our practice be shared with all of the suffering addicts in this world. May each one of us get free and stay free and help each other get free. And together, may we create a positive change on this planet. Good to see everybody. Hope to see you next month or at some meetings. Or Refuge Recovery is freely offered. If you'd like to make a donation to support us, you may do so by following the link in the episode notes. We appreciate your generosity.